Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here with us today. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here at CCC, and so honored that you would spend some of your Sunday morning with us. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about God being inattentive, and one of the things we want to be attentive to, especially as parents, is our kids, and for grandparents as well, for their grandkids. And so um, out in the lobby, there's an orange window as you walk towards this side, and there's some materials there that are designed to encourage you and to provide you some coaching and direction in this area of building into the lives of your kids and students. So I want to just draw your attention to that, encourage you to grab those on your way out. You know, one of the most reoccurring conversations in our home often happens most evenings as I come in from, uh, from work, and my wife is often there at the counter at the kitchen uh, preparing dinner. And so as she does that, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll sit in a chair, and as I sit and talk to her and listen to her tell me about the things that are going on in her life and how her day went, and invariably for some reason, I'm not quite sure why, but I often find myself slowly picking up my phone and then starting to scroll through things on my phone. And she continues to talk, and I was often respond by, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that's interesting, that's interesting. And after a few of those, she kind of picks up on, he's not really paying attention to me. And she turns around and catches me, and I'm busted, you know. And then I have to decide how honest I'm going to be about telling her exactly how long I've been doing this and not really paying attention to her as she thought I was. She knew I was there. She knew I was present, but what she wanted most from me was for me to be attentive, for me not just to be physically present, but for me to be attentive and engage with what was important to her. No one likes when someone's there with you, present with you, and not attentive to you. Simon Sinek, in his best-selling author recently in a podcast, said that that's one of the reasons why our phones have created the greatest level of distraction for people in any Uh, in any time period in human history. He says, even if you have your phone sitting at the table where you are with people, whether you're out to dinner, whether you're with a client, whether you're in a meeting, and that phone beep buzzes or dings, where do your eyes go, even if you don't pick it up, to that phone? And whoever's there with you realizes, I'm not as important to you as whoever just beep buzzed or dinged you on that phone. And so that's why he recommends when you're at dinner with your family, put them in another part of the room. When you go out with friends, leave them in a car. When you're in a business meeting, don't even bring them to the table because they will distract you and you will not be able to give attention to the people who are there. As bad as this may seem, there's someone else that we really don't like to be inattentive to us and that's God. That's God. Because often when we're engaging with God, when we're interacting with God, we're bringing things that really matter to us. Things that are deep things, things that are struggles, things that are weights on our soul. And it's hard for us when God's not inattentive. It even gets harder by some things that happen when we tell others or we're in, we let others know what's going on around us. Sometimes people like myself, preachers, they might say, well, you just need to pray and ask God for it a little bit more and maybe then God will respond. Or maybe you need to have more faith and then God will show up. It's also magnified when we have friends who seem to get answers to trivial things. It's like you're coming to a small group and you want to share a deep, heavy burden, something you've been talking to God out. You haven't talked to anybody else and you're about ready to talk to your group and someone says, hey, can I tell you an amazing thing that happened this week? And you're like, yeah, sure. I was driving through the ball parking lot and I prayed for a spot right near the front entrance when it was raining and guess what? God gave me a spot. And you're like, and God won't answer my prayer? What's up with that? Or you're asking God to give you a child and someone else is asking God to just help their child sleep through the night. 
or maybe even worse than that, is when God seems to answer the prayers of people that don't deserve it. You've got a coworker, you've got someone at work that treats other people poorly, isn't a good employee, and then they come in and start telling you about the two job offers they got that they're trying to decide that's better than their current job. And you're like, God, what's up with that? Well, for the next three weeks, we're going to look at real-life stories of individuals in the Bible who wrestled with these kinds of questions with God. Our series comes from North Point Ministries, and we're going to, talk, we're going to look at the lives of three people. People of faith, people who walked with God, people who believed in God, people who found themselves in very difficult situations, and they prayed a very simple prayer, asking God to help them through the challenges that they were facing. So why is this so important? Why is this so important? Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you in the room have found yourself facing a difficult situation in your life, and sometime when you've been navigating that, have you felt that God is either inattentive uncooperative or late. Let me see your hands. How many of you ever felt that with God? Okay, put those hands up high. Put them up high. Now look around the room. You see, this is most of the room. Most of the room. And the reason why we're talking about this is so that you don't think you're the only one that struggles with this. Because the danger of being the only, believing that you're the only one that struggles with this is that it can cause you to wrestle with your faith in some very deep ways. I was with a couple guys just yesterday, and one of the guys was telling us about a situation in his life. And as he was relaying this situation, um, he was struggling with it because he felt like he had done something wrong to be in this scenario. And myself and the other guy, when he finished, we, we said to him, we said, we said, we've been through the exact same thing. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And there's nothing, no, you've not done anything wrong. This is just what happens in life. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so sometimes we need to understand that these are things that are part of the struggle in life. Because the danger is, is if God is silent, we can feel like God is absent. And if we feel like God is absent, then we might not feel like we matter that much to God. Or we're that valuable to God for Him to choose to respond. And that could not be further from the truth. Today we're going to look at the story of a man that Jesus described as the greatest man ever born. Our story begins with a crazy guy by the name of Herod. Herod. He was a ruler in the ancient Near East, and you might remember the name Herod from stories about Jesus when he was a baby. You see, when the wise men came to visit Jesus, they went to the ruler of that day, which was Herod, and they said to Herod, they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? The hair on the back of Herod's neck went up, and he's like, king of the Jews? I thought I was the king. He said, tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. Fortunately for the wise men, an angel told them, don't go back to Herod and go a separate way. When Herod didn't hear back from him, his anger escalated. He said, I have to find this baby. And so he then went and killed all the male children under the age of two in the city of Bethlehem in an attempt to kill the one who was king of the Jews. But fortunately, an angel had warned Jesus' parents to take him away, and he was safe. So he not only killed all them, but he also murdered his wife. He also murdered three of his six sons. He also murdered his mother-in-law. We won't go on that. We won't talk about that subject, but obviously that was a rough relationship. But Caesar Augustus said of Herod, it would be better to be one of Herod's swine than one of Herod's sons. He was that evil. He was that evil. He was so evil that as he was about to die, 
he rounded up a bunch of the leading citizens in one of the, um, Israel, the Jewish towns called Jericho, and he put them in prison. And then he wrote out this decree. He said, on the day I die, I don't want there to be partying in the streets. On the day I die, I, want, I don't want all the people celebrating. So on the day I die, I want you to kill all of these people at the same time so that somewhere in Israel there will be mourning for me. Fortunately, the day he died, they released those people, and there was a party in the streets. So what happened after Herod died? Well, after Herod died, the land of Israel was divided into two sections. It was divided up into two sections. There was a third son that was alive, and he was given money but no power. And so the first section was given to a guy by the name of Herod Archelaus. He was given the southern part of the kingdom where Jerusalem and the south Judea was. The second son, Herod Antipas, was given the northern part where Galilee was, where Jesus lived. The third son, by the name of Philip, was not given any land, so he had no power, but he was given wealth and prosperity. There's another player in our story, and that's a woman by the name of Herodias. Herodias married Philip, and they had a daughter named Salome. And so those are the characters in our story this morning. Well, things got a little crazy because one day... Herod Antipas went over to his brother's house, Herod Philip's house. And while he was at his brother's house, he began to have a conversation, um, not with his brother, but with his brother's wife, Herodias. And as he began to have this conversation with Herodias, he said, Herodias, I'm not really sure how to tell you this, and I don't know that I should tell you this, but, but I have these feelings for you, and I really care a lot about you. And, and, and I would really love for there to be something more between the two of us. And um, Herodias said, well, ironic, you should say that because I have feelings for you and I'm attracted to you and I would like for there to be something more between the two of us. And hence, the drama in the royal family. Well, again, what do you think happened? Well, it didn't get any better. It actually got worse because Herodias divorced Philip, which was very, very rare and hardly happened in those days, and married her brother-in-law, Herod Antipas. In the midst of all of this happening, so Herod Antipas, Herodias, they think life is grand, but in the midst of all of this happening, there's another character that shows up on the, screen, on the scene. This character, his name is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had a very famous cousin. Anybody know who John the Baptist's cousin was? Jesus, yep, Jesus. So John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and John the Baptist was given a message from God, and that message was to go to all the people in the land of Israel and tell them, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning, because God is coming, and he's going to do this amazing thing, and someone's coming after me who's going to be greater than I am, and if you don't stop sinning, you're going to miss this amazing thing that's coming. That was John's message. John was a little odd. He lived in the desert. He ate locusts and honey. He wore animal skins, a little bit bizarre, but he was a hero to the people. You know why he's a hero to the people? Because he was willing to stand up to Herod. He was fearless because he not only preached the message that God gave him to preach, but, Herod, but he also confronted Herod, Antipas. And he said to Herod Antipas, what you are doing is wrong. It is sin. It is adultery. You should not marry your brother's wife. Now that was the Jewish law. Herod Antipas wasn't Jewish, but it was shameful and disgraceful for the Jewish community, for their leader to mock their laws by his actions. Well, as you can imagine, um, Herodias wasn't too thrilled with John. She really did not like him at all. 
I imagine Herodias, every time she went out in public, John just happened to find her and just happened to call her out, happened to call her an adulteress, happened to preach a loud message right near wherever she was. So she hated John the Baptist. She wanted him killed. And that's where the story that we're going to look at begins. In Mark 6, it says this, Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, have him put in prison. He did this, why? Because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herod, Herodias nursed a grudge against John, wanted to kill him, but she was not able to. Why was it she not able to kill him? Why couldn't she get Herod Antipas to kill him? Well, the reason was Herod Antipas knew that he was a righteous and holy man, but there was something more than that. Herod Antipas was intrigued by John. Intrigued by John. I kind of envision Herod Antipas taking off his kingly garb, setting that aside, putting on the clothes of a commoner, sneaking out into the marketplace and trying to find out, where's that crazy preacher again? I'm going to go find that guy. Oh, there he is over on the hillside. I'm going to stand off to the side. I'm going to listen to him. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if what he's saying is true, but he's saying someone's coming. Someone's coming after him, and it's going to change everything. And people are going to follow. And I don't know what that's going to mean for me. What's that going to mean for the kingdom? What's that going to mean for Rome? But I'm going to stay close to this guy and listen. And so he was puzzled. He was curious. And he liked to listen to John. And that's likely the reason that John didn't lose his life. He also likely knew that John's status in the community. He was a hero to the people. And to take his life could have created a riot and put his role in jeopardy. So John the Baptist, who is the guy who is supposed to go out in front of Jesus? John the Baptist is the one that's supposed to tell everybody about Jesus. John the Baptist was the one who said, Jesus is so amazing, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. John the Baptist says of Jesus, he said, he must increase, become greater and more significant, and I must decrease, become less significant. So if there's anyone who deserved a miracle. If there's anyone who deserved God showing up, if there's anyone who deserved a get-out-of-jail-free card in the middle of the night, I would suggest to you it was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. In the midst of all of this, John sends a very confusing message to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark 11, or excuse me, Matthew 11. Matthew 11. It's page 791 in the Bibles in your seats there. Matthew 11, page 791. You can follow on your phone on an app. Matthew 11. So in Matthew 11, Jesus had been with his disciples. He was busy teaching them. And he was in the, in the area of Galilee, which is the area that Herod Antipas was ruling. Remember Herodias, she was the previous wife to Philip. Money, no power. And now she's married to Antipas. Now she's got power and influence. And so while there, John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent his disciples, his followers, to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That's an odd question. That's an odd question. You're like, didn't John know who Jesus was? Wasn't he the one that announced who Jesus was? Wasn't he the one that when he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Wasn't John the Baptist the one who then baptized Jesus and when he came up out of the water, these words were spoken that this is my son whom I'm thrilled with? 
What's going on with John? What's going on with John? I want to suggest to you that when our circumstances change, it can impact our confidence in God. When our circumstances change, for better or for worse, it can impact our confidence in God. You know, when, when circumstances change and things get a little worse, when circumstances change and your marriage is struggling, when circumstances change and, and you've got a kid wandering away from God, maybe not, not wandering away from you, it can shake our confidence in God. But not just when they get worse, but also when they get better. We get a, we get a, new, uh, we get a promotion. We get a new job. We finally have the money so that we don't have to watch every penny. And we kind of have a little bit of confidence in ourselves and our capacity and our ability. We can lose our confidence in God. Somehow God becomes different when our circumstances change. And so John is asking Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you the one? How does Jesus reply? He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And what were they hearing and seeing? The blind could see. The lame could walk. Those with leprosy were healed. The deaf could hear. The dead were raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And he says one more thing. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. A little bit of a head scratcher. Jesus, you do things that cause us to stumble? Jesus says, I know what's happening is because of me. And I know what's happening because of me could affect your faith. It leaves you almost wondering, did something happen with Jesus and John the Baptist to cause tension, friction, a conflict, a break in the relationship? It doesn't seem to be indicated by just a few verses later in John 11 where Jesus says this. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow, the greatest guy alive. And I'm going to leave him hanging out in prison. Here's the truth. And this may be hard for you to hear. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how much faith he had. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how many people were praying for him. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how many people were doing round-the-clock prayer vigils for him. You see, God had a reason and a purpose for John the Baptist to be in prison. And I'm not minimizing the element of faith, and I'm not minimizing the element of prayer, but there was nothing that could be done to change his current circumstances. He was there because it was something God was up to. But he didn't know it. He didn't understand it. It didn't make any sense to him. And it caused him to start to wonder about his relationship with Jesus. You see, your personal circumstance do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. When God hasn't shown up lately, when you're in a wilderness, in a desert time, the truth is God still views you the same. You say, John, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, the proof of it is what we celebrated last week. The proof of it is how God feels about you because of what happened at the cross the proof is no matter what is happening in your home, no matter what is happening in your personal life, no matter what is happening in your job, no matter what is happening in relationships or your love life, no matter what is happening in any of those situations, your personal circumstance do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Because when life is going bad, you can fool yourself to believe God does not care, I do not matter, He's not paying attention to me. And it could not be any further from the truth. 
Don't make the mistake of letting your faith hinge on what God has done for you lately. Let me say that again. Don't make the mistake of letting your faith hinge on what God has done for you lately. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the greatest man alive. He prophesied about Jesus. And Jesus did not bail him out. So what advice do you think Jesus would give to us when we find ourselves in these situations? I think it's the same thing he would have said to John the Baptist if it would have been recorded for us. I think what he would remind us to do is to look back at what God has done in the past. Look back and remember God's faithfulness. All throughout the Bible, we're reminded to do this. All throughout the Old Testament, there was this event in time that the people of Israel were told to look back and remember God's faithfulness. It was this event called the Red Sea. You see, at the Red Sea, God had led his people out of Egypt. God had led them away from the Egyptians. God had helped them to loot the Egyptians. They gave them everything and said, take it all and leave. And they took it all and left and they thought, now we're free. And they're standing there and suddenly that they're at the Red Sea and the army's coming down behind them. They're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? Aren't you paying attention? We're kind of here. And what did God do? Parted the Red Sea and they went through on dry land and then wiped out the armies behind them. And one of the things that amazes me is you read throughout the, New, the Old Testament over and over in the, Psalma, the Psalms, over and over, they're always going back to the Red Sea. They're always going back to the Red Sea. They're always going, they, they, like, they don't ever want you to forget about the Red Sea in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, what Paul does is when Paul writes about things that are going on, he doesn't take you back to the Red Sea, he takes you back to the cross. He doesn't want you to ever forget that God loved you so much, he was willing to give up his one and only son for you. And he says, when life is hard, remember the cross. When things are difficult, remember the cross. When things don't make sense, when you're looking for hope, remember the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to go back and remember and look back. But not only does he invite us to remember, to remember, to remember, but he invites us to look around and see God's goodness. And that's what he does with John. Remember what he said in verse 4? He said, John, look around. Listen to what's happening. People can see. People can walk. People have been cleansed. People can hear. People are alive. And when you and I are struggling, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves not sure if God's paying attention to us and our needs, one of the ways that we can navigate through this is to step outside of our current situation and be involved in the lives of other people. Be involved in someone who's in a physical crisis, help people in need. Go travel internationally and see what God's doing in the mission field around the world. Serve someone else. And what happens is when you step outside of your circumstance, when God seems inattentive, and you start to pay attention to what God's doing, you realize, wow, God's showing up here, and God's showing up here, and God's, God's not showing up here, but God's certainly busy and active doing all kinds of things. Well, if you know the rest of the story, it doesn't end well for John the Baptist. Because Herod has a birthday party, invites a bunch of his friends in. Uh, they all get completely drunk. Um, his stepdaughter comes in, she dances for her stepdad and all of his buddies. 
He's so thrilled with her in his inebriated state. He says, hey, I'll give you anything. What do you want? What do you want? Even half the kingdom. She's like, wow, half the kingdom. And, um, you know, she does what uh, any teenage girl does. She says, let me go ask mom. Let me go check with mom, you know. So she runs back and checks with mom, and, and Hera's thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe she'll ask for a new cell phone or tickets to go see Imagine Dragons or something like that. Maybe that's what she'll ask for, you know. But Herodias, she's ticked. She's furious. She has this raging hatred for who? John. And so she says to her teenage daughter, tell him I want John the Baptist's head on Imagine the level of hatred you would have to have to put your daughter through that. And then she goes and says to her stepdad, well, you got a pretty easy one. All I need is the head on the platter. That's it. Herod is stuck because he likes John. He wants to hear what John is saying, but there's no way he can lose face in front of all of his buddies. And he wants to win over his new stepdaughter, and he doesn't want to anger his new wife and so he says to his soldiers, go and kill John and behead him and bring his head to me on a platter. You know, the amazing thing about that story is God did not move off of his throne. In spite of the fact that others watching and hearing and listening, the disciples of John, the disciples of Jesus, might have assumed that he was inactive, uninvolved, far away, not paying attention. God was right there watching all of those events, as confusing as they were, unfold. And just a few short weeks and months later, His only Son, Jesus, would ask Him to do the same thing, would ask Him to show up, would ask Him to respond, would ask Him to find another way. And we have no record of the Father saying a word and allowing His Son to die. Why? Because in His death, He provided redemption for all of mankind. He provided an opportunity for all of us, even 2,000 years later, later, to be given a second chance, to be given a second opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. If you long for that today. And so when God is silent, He's not absent. He's not absent. When God doesn't answer our prayers, He's not inactive. And when God doesn't do what you want Him to do, He's not busy with other things. And in the midst of all of this, he offers a promise. And I want to close with that. We looked at it earlier, and that's Matthew 11, 6. Matthew 11, 6. First thing he says is he said, blessed. That means good things, things from God. Blessed is who? Blessed is, blessed are pastors, blessed are people who pray a lot, blessed are small group leaders. No, who does he say blessed is? Say it with me. Who does he say blessed is who? Anyone. Anyone. Anyone, anyone who what? Anyone who does not stumble. Anyone who does not fall away. 
Anyone who does not bail out on God. Anyone who says, God, you didn't come through for me. I don't really know if I can believe all this God stuff and abandon it all. On account of me. Because what I have chosen to do in this particular moment in time is not what you wanted me to do. And the truth is, when those situations come, when we find ourselves in those moments in time, um, it's not uncommon for people to walk away from God. You talk to many people today who are not involved in their faith, who don't have a relationship with God, and you say, and if you ask them questions and you hear their story, what you will often find and often discover at some point in time in their life, there was somewhat of an openness to God there was an openness to faith. There was an openness to spiritual things. But something happened. Almost every time, there was an event that happened where God didn't show up, God didn't come through, and they concluded, God's not for me. God doesn't care about me. And so I'm done with God. And Jesus says, if you can hold on, if you can hold on, to a string of hope when it seems hopeless, when it doesn't make any sense, then God's going to show up in your life and do some amazing things. And so my challenge is to you when you find yourself in those situations to remember this truth, to remember that your personal circumstances don't necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. They don't coincide. And God's inviting you to look back and remember his faithfulness and then to look around you and remember his goodness. Because if God would allow Jesus' cousin, the greatest man who ever lived, to rot in jail, who I'm sure he loved deeply, I have to believe that for you and for me, when we find ourselves in those situations that don't make any sense, where God seems like he's not paying attention, he's busy doing something else. He truly is involved. He truly does care. And he says to you today, can you hold on? Can you hold on? Look back. Look around. And I'm going to show up in your life in some amazing ways. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And as you do, um, some of you are struggling to hold on this morning. And Maybe just take a moment and say, God, help me to remember. Um, I've kind of forgotten. And things are really on a precipice with God and I right now. Maybe you're here this morning, someone brought you here, a friend, relative, boyfriend, girlfriend, someone brought you here, you came through the doors and you've kind of ditched the God thing. You just came because you want to be with them and Would you be open to the fact that God hasn't ditched you and that he loves you and he wants to be with you and he wants a relationship with you today? And maybe you're not in a difficult place, but if you've lived life long enough, you know difficulties often are right around the corner. And so maybe you just need to pause this morning and remember some of God's faithfulness in your life.
Remember something he did, a way he showed up, a way he provided, a way he showed his goodness. So that when you find yourself in those places, you can hold on to that. God, you know each of our stories this morning. And as we seek to be present with you and be honest about where our hearts are, meet us there. Invite us to trust you and to follow you and to walk with you. In your name, amen. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders my soul now to stand so what can I say what can I do but offer this heart
themselves to you. But God, you also know that there are hearts in this room that are angry, resentful, walled off and bitter because you have not shown up and you were not there. God, no matter where we find ourselves today, my prayer is that we would know of your amazing, incredible love for each of us, no matter where we are in our journey and in our story. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat as we wrap up. I want to thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for taking some of your Sunday to uh, celebrate who God is and to spend some time reflecting on the way that he's involved in our lives. Our ushers are going to come and they're going to pass some buckets all the way across the room. If you're a guest here with us, um, as you heard Roddy say, we'd love to have you fill out some information, drop it in the bucket, and uh, we'll get something to you this week. And if you're a regular tender, just let us know you're here and any way that we can connect with you, pray with you, and serve you today. You know, one of the things we know about these life experiences is we never know when these struggles are going to show up. We never know when we're going to find ourselves in situations wondering, where's God? Where's God? And what's going on in our lives and in our story? I had that happen to me about a week and a half ago. My dad called and said, got to take you know, your mom to the hospital and didn't know what was wrong with her and still trying to get those things sorted out now 10 days later. Um, didn't know what was going on, don't know what, didn't know what was happening, still don't quite know and understand all of those things. And so when you find yourself in those places, when you find yourself in those situations, I hope you can find comfort and hope by looking back at what God's done, looking around you and seeing that he's still doing things and remembering that your personal circumstances do not reflect how God feels about you. So as you face those challenges this week, my hope is that those truths will be a part of your day and a part of your life. Thanks for being here with us. Have a great day, everybody. Hope you come back and join us next week as we continue our series, When God.